Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 10 Benedict Nail feels awfully conspicuous running along his own window sill in the company of Bobs and Mum from the China House on his mantelpiece. For a start, it was all so ludicrously strange that it all felt larger than life, despite all being so much smaller than life. Being shrunk down to barely half an inch high and lost in his own living room, being lectured by the ghosts of long-dead Londoners haunting his own ornaments, being stalked and taunted by his own cat, all of it is ridiculous and all of it is terrifying. He is also aware that the cat is still at large somewhere in the room, as the fall to the floor it just had is unlikely, in his experience, to dissuade it. Running across the bare and street-lit sill is hardly surreptitious, what with Bob's clacking china feet and the wobble and scrape of Mum's china dress as she heaves herself along. Then there is the small matter of both Bob's and Mum being on fire. Two blazing little heads, mirrored in the dark window, their capering shadows rushing back and forth up the walls and curtains. "'Why,' said Benedict, panting, "'are you on fire?' "'The memories!' says Bobs, not being out of breath since he is a ghost and breathed his last a hundred years ago. "'It's memories keep you warm, innit? Mum told her memories of the tiger that escaped from Jamratch's animal emporium on the Radcliffe Highway and snatched up a boy before Jamratch put his hands down his throat and made it give the boy up. "'And Bobs,' says Mum, gliding along beside them, "'told the story of how he saw a leopard in the emporium on Bet Street.' And as they recount these stories, the flames enveloping their heads start to gutter and sputter out, until they are both suddenly quite dark, trailing wisps of smoke. But now we've traded the stories back, see? says Bobs. So we've both got the memories back, and we're back where we started. Mum and I have got through many a winter like this, little glimmerings of memory to keep us going, haven't we, Mum? Plenty of stories in the scriptorium, though, Bob says says Mum. Plenty to keep us going. Oh, I, I see, says Benedict. Uh, that's why you saved me. You, you want to go to the scriptorium too. Now be fair, old fella, says Bobs. We could better have slipped past while you was distracting the cat, or the cat was distracting you, whichever way round it was, but we couldn't have you eaten by your own pet now, could we? More of a dog man myself, as it happens. Ah, here we are. They had arrived at the end of the window sill, where it butted up against the side of the bookshelf. It was an Ikea case, a modular thing with open sides, and it was easy to drop down onto the front edge of the next shelf below. Now then, says Bobs, let's see if we can get inside before that cat comes back. He moves down the shelf, examining the spines of the books before stopping before one. Benedict realises that he can see a faint glow of light coming out from under the bottom of the publisher's logo at the base of the spine. Here we are. Let's see if we have any luck, says Bobs, and raps at the logo as if at a door. And just like a door, it opens, and in front of them is a woman in horn-rimmed spectacles and a severe suit of such pressed neatness that it looks two-dimensional. Good evening, gentlemen. Madam, how may I help you? This is Mr. Benedict Nail, says Bobs, pushing him forwards. He's looking for advice. Advice, says the woman, arching an eyebrow. Well, were I to be asked advice about seeking advice, I'd advise to seek it here. 
In short, you have come to the right place. Please do come in. She steps back and waves them in. Benedict steps across the threshold of the logo to find himself in a panelled passageway with an earthen floor. There is a picture on the wall of a mole, dressed in 18th century clothing, and Benedict suddenly realises that they must have come in through wind in the willows. This way, please. Formalities first, I'm afraid, says the woman in glasses, leading them down the passageway. Well, it'll be formalities after, also. Formalities all the way, in fact, but by their very nature, they must be seen to in order, mustn't they? She opens a door, and they step through into the grand hall of an English country house, all echoing marble and winsomely draped classical statues. Somewhere music is playing, and there is the sound of laughter and talking. A seasonal party, no doubt, says the woman, leading them across the hall. Even the unseemly can seem seemly at the right time of year. Just through here. The door on the other side of the hall leads into a low, dark office. They appear to have somehow come through a door, not from a hallway, but from the street, and Benedict can hear the sound of horses' hooves and street vendors outside. Inside the room is dim and bare, just a single log in the grate, and beside it a high stool and a writing desk with a ledger on it. Now then, we come at last to business, said the woman, climbing up onto the stool and delicately taking a pen from an inside pocket, taking off the lid and examining the nib in the faint light. What sort of advice is it? We must find the right department. I just want to know what's going on, says Benedict. What's going on, says the woman, putting the pen down again. The eternal question, the fundamental question. But we must be more specific. What's going on? History, perhaps? Geography? Physics? With me, says Benedict. What's going on with me? Ah, says the woman, picking up the pen again. Psychology. The issue at hand, ma'am, says Bobs, is that he's not dead. Ah, religion, says the woman. But I am dying, uh, apparently, says Benedict. Uh, and I suppose all this is some kind of hallucination or something, as I, I lie down there on the rug and, and all of you carry on as if it's something terribly amusing. Uh, I don't see why I have to imagine people who are so irritating and careless. What I want is not advice. I want something done about it. The woman in glasses puts down her pen again. She tips her head on one side and regards Benedict with interest finally, as if she's really only just noticed him. Something to be done about it, she repeats thoughtfully. If what is going on is the eternal question, then something must be done is the eternal demand, is it not? I don't know about eternity, says Benedict, and frankly, the less I know about it, the better, but it is my question now. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do? says the woman, putting her pen away. I am going to do what I always do with difficult questions. What I do with all questions, to be frank, I am going to send it to someone else to answer. And in this case, with such a pressing and obtuse question, I think it best to go to the top, don't you? To the abbot of our scriptorium, the head librarian, the chief remembrancer, grand poobah and mandarin, to Mr. Cardiman himself.
You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of The Ghosts of Christmas Presents.